Well, good morning, Grace Vineyard, and uh, happy Sunday to you all. Um, thank you so much uh, for being with us today. Now, for those of you who don't know, we've been going through the Beatitudes over the past few weeks as a church, where we've been looking at this part instruction, part blessing, part encouragement from Jesus in his famous Sermon on the Mount in Matthew. And over the past few weeks, we've looked at these various sayings that Jesus said during that sermon. For example, Jill talked about being the blessed are the poor in spirit. Mark Stoneham took on the verse, you know, being blessed are those who hunger for righteousness. Last week, Mark Visser was talking to us about um, blessed are those who uh, show mercy, for they will be shown mercy. And I'll be taking on today Matthew 5, 8. But before we dig into it and don't go and have a look at what that is, although, you know, well done to all of you who've read ahead and already know where this is going. I want to just kick off uh, my little uh, sermon today with a quiz just to get the cogs whirring. A quiz. Now, of course, as you can see here, in no way at all does this uh, in any way at all but have any relevance to any potential BBC shows or any uh, figures who may present those shows at all. So just want to say that from the outset in case anyone from BBC is watching this on YouTube. But let's play this quiz, which is called, and this is very family friendly, called Name the Body Part. So obviously we're doing this on Zoom, so it's not going to be any audience feedback, but I just want you in your head to start thinking, what's the body part that is missing? Let's go. So first of all, three famous songstresses who have all had hit songs, Bonnie Tyler with Total Eclipse of the Spleen, Tony Braxton with Unbreak My Elbow, Celine Dion, My Scapula Will Go On. Have a little think as you're sitting there, what's the body part that's missing from these famous hit songs? Maybe you're more of a literature person, so let's check this out. Have any of you read that famous book from the Victorian author Joseph Conrad? I had to do this for my GCSEs. Little Toe of Darkness, or maybe you prefer your American literature. You have Edgar Allan Poe, who famously wrote that scary novel, The Telltale Metatarsal. Or Stephen King, if you really like your modern horror, horror who spoke about little fingers in Atlantis. And then finally, just sayings, everyday regular sayings, things that we say as we sit down and converse with each other. Do we say, and hopefully you can see what the commonality is now, do we say, let's get to the shin of the matter? When a person is, you know, shows their feelings, do we say he wears his um, forehead on his sleeve. That'd be very odd. Maybe some people do. And when there's a great meal in front of you, this is perhaps one of my favourite sayings, when there's a meal right in front of me, do we say, eat your tongue out? Now, I don't think we do, but as we've gone through all of these different books and songs and sayings, have you guys at home realised what the common, what the common body part is? Well, hopefully you realise it's heart, right? Heart, this massive organ which is central to our body, central to keeping us alive, the size of a fist. I was reading yesterday that it pumps about 115,000 times. Is it a day? Maybe I've got that wrong now. Maybe I've got the facts wrong. But this, this heart with its ventricles and its veins and its atriums, the size of a fist, weighs between 9 to 12 ounces. This is, this body part has been written about, sung about, we talk about it, 
probably more so than any other organ or body part um, ever. Through all sorts of cultures and societies, the heart has been something that people are always talking about. It's been something that's been symbolic for love and affection. Or when you want to get to the depth of matter, sometimes we use a heart literally as a symbol of a person. You know, we talk about, you know, getting, you know, he wears his heart on his sleeve. He shows his emotions. There are so many different ways the heart has been talked about, loved, sung about, written about. It's really key to our culture, this little ball of muscle, more so than anything else. Which neatly brings me on to what I want to talk to you all about today, because really the only person whose views on the heart matter aren't, it's not as much as I love Tony Braxton and Celine Dion and who was it, Bonnie Tyler, as much as, you know, we might like Edgar Allan Poe writing about the heart or Stephen King or any of these things. Really the only person um, whose view on the heart matters is Jesus's. It's what does Jesus say about our heart? What does Jesus, considering he created our hearts um, and he, you know, he's the, you know, what, does he have to say about the heart? What does he have to say about the human heart? What does he have to say about my heart? What does he have to say about yours? And here on that Sermon on the Mount, when he's gathered around and people are listening to him, when he's talking about those Beatitudes, we come to Matthew 5, 8, where the Lord says, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Now, as ever with any biblical verse and scripture, it can seem very short, but there's always a million different ways you can think on and meditate and learn from and dig into this. Today, now, I want to just jump in and really take on the first part of this on really what it means to be when he says, the Lord says, blessed are the pure in heart. There's so much in there, and I've been expressly told I can't go on and on this time, so I'm trying to keep this as short as possible, but blessed are the pure in heart. So, Really, I want to just take us through really three questions, starting with what does it mean to be pure in heart? What does Jesus mean when he says, blessed are the pure in heart? Now, I had to dig into some Greek, which is always very useful with these kind of things. And the Greek word for pure, which Matthew uses, as I have discovered, is is a word called katharis. And this word pure has two meanings. And I think if we were to say the word pure in a modern day context, I'd wager that we probably think of the word pure usually to a sexual morality. We tend to talk about people keeping themselves pure. And in our culture, we tend it tends to be around sexual behaviours and sort of proclivities and, and, and keeping ourselves, you know, chaste. That's usually the word pure as we tend to talk about it culturally is particularly relating to a person. But the, in the Greek sense, which is uh, the sense which I guess Jesus would have originally have conveyed this, or the, or the author Matthew, as he's conveying this to his audience, his readers, really there are two ways of understanding that word pure. And I'd like you to keep these two definitions in your head as we think about this statement being pure in heart today. The first one is one probably I'd suggest we're probably more commonly know, understanding it, which is the idea of being clean or blameless or unstained from guilt when we talk about a pure, you know, pure cotton or, um, you know, when something's just pure, it's not mixed with anything. It's it's very, um, you know, it's not stained. It's not besmirched. It's not dirtied. It's clean. Absolutely clean. I think that's something we can really understand. Blessed are the pure in heart, those who are clean, those who are blameless, those who are unstained by the world. The world's a grotty place with bad things and things that can really mar and tear down and wear down and dirty our hearts. 
But then there's a second meaning from this catharsis, and it's very interesting actually, catharsis was often meant in a secular sense when it came to, I learnt from this, it's a bit of a side thing, people would, secular writers would often use the word catharsis when speaking about steel or metal making, and they talk about, you know, steels which were pure and not cut or mixed with anything, and that, I think that was one of the more common uses that uh, the audience would have understood catharsis in. But the second way of understanding it is the word, uh, is probably what we talk of as undivided or not split. Maybe you might know the word single-mindedness or dedicated. So in one sense, the pure in heart is someone who, those who have a pure in heart is someone who's clean and blameless and unstained. And then in that second sense, you have someone who's single-minded. You know, we don't have um, divided or other affections or other views or other things that we're looking at. You know, you, you know it says you can't serve two masters. You know, you can't serve... You, you know, ultimately, your love is where you put your money and where you put your time and where you put your efforts in. And this idea of being pure in heart means a, a single-mindedness. I've written here a spiritual tunnel vision, in this case, where you're just focusing on one thing and you're not split between things, which is a hard call because we live busy lives with many different competing, you know, needs and, you know, plays for our attention. But the pure in heart is the person who is undivided, who is not split, who's not thinking about other things, and is, has that spiritual tunnel vision of having heart fully fixed on the object of its devotion. And in this case, we know full well that the Lord means Jesus, means himself, means God, means God the, uh, the Son, the Holy Spirit, all three together, that we are to be fully devoted, undivided in our affections and in our time and in our plans, all bend towards the Lord. Now that gang is the ideal. That's the ideal here. That's what the pure in heart should be like. Nor, you know, ideally, clean, blameless, purified, single-minded, only thinking about the Lord. But gang, in reality, if we're being really honest, are we naturally, and things are a little different when you're a Christian, but I just mean naturally when you were first born, when you were sort of ambling before your, your pre-Christian life, are we naturally pure in heart? Now, I think if you ask anyone, uh, normally we don't go, we don't really talk about being pure in heart, but we tend to say, think to ourselves, are we good people? That's the way the culture likes to ask this question. Are we good? And often you ask people, are you a good person? And, and people bristle a little bit at the question. And they say, of course, I'm a good person. Of course, I'm a good person. I give to charity. I, I don't swear. You know, I did a fun run last year before coronavirus. You know, people, you ask them if someone's good. If you ask someone, are they good? And I'm just using good as a different way of saying pure in heart. And they'll say, yeah, of course I am. In fact, often people say, I'm not, I'm not a murderer. Or people might even, if even if people know that they're not particularly good, they like to compare themselves to others and say, you know, at least I'm not like that Tory prime minister, or at least I'm not like that Labour person. You know, we always have our little pet people who we think are worse than us. And we like to say, well, at least I'm not like them. At least I'm better than them. So often, instinctively, we like to think we are good people, more or less. Now, when we encounter the Lord, when we encounter real perfection, when we come face to face with God and see what real purity, real wondrous goodness looks like, we're like um, the Old Testament prophets. I think it was Ezekiel or Elijah who said, woe unto me, I'm a man of unclean lips. The moment you're in the presence of the Lord, you realise how good you're not. But naturally, we tend to think, yes, we are pretty pure in heart. We mean well. We don't try and go out of our way to be mean to others or rude to others. We, we mind our manners. We give to charity. We're polite. We do all the right things, as society tells us. We're, we're good people. But the Bible has a different way of bringing this to us. The Bible is not like the culture which says, yep, you're a good person if you follow the rules and you do nice things and you do good works and you don't swear and you give to charity. 
The Bible says very different things about us. The Bible portrays a very different way of looking at natural man. Man underneath all of our good behaviours and all of our well-dressed Marks and Spencer clothing and our nice middle-class houses or whatever it is, you know, all the ways we're trying to behave ourselves and be good people, the Bible says quite simply something very different. The Bible says, no, we're not quite the opposite. The Bible says, far from having pure hearts naturally before we're in Christ, that actually we have deceitful hearts. We have hearts that lie to ourselves. We have hearts that are desperately wicked. In fact, this is out of Jeremiah. I didn't actually put the right quote, but the thing, but it says, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. When's the last time you heard someone describe you or your mum, or your grandma, I'm trying to think of all the nice people in your world that you probably couldn't even believe this being said about, as desperately wicked, as having desperately wicked hearts. And that's me, as much as you before Christ, before we were in Christ. That's that's your friendly, you know, little elderly neighbour next door. They have a deceitful heart, which is desperately wicked. And I think once you really talk to people, when the chips are down, and they don't, they aren't just speaking to sort of, you know, you know, to keep up appearances, people know full well that they are fundamentally bad. Now, they might not use that word, they may not do it, but everyone knows that there is something wrong, there, there's something fundamentally wrong with themselves. If you, no matter how nice someone is, no matter how well they behave themselves, if you said to them, "Can could I know every thought you have in the, each day, or if I watched you for 24 hours, would you come away thinking that they're a good person? Well, maybe in how they act, but not in their thought life, you know, not in the thoughts they have. They don't have perfect thoughts. I'm sure they don't. Maybe in their hearts and what they're thinking. No, you wouldn't. And this is what the Bible shows us is that our hearts, this thing which, you know, I'm using the heart symbolically here, our hearts, which are in the center of us, it's that's where all the badness comes from. It doesn't matter how we act. There would have been Pharisees listening to Jesus who had been gone through all sorts of ceremonial purification and done all sorts of ceremonial and, and moral and behavioral things to be pure people in the eyes of the Jews at that time. But Jesus says, and this is from Mark now, but it's something that runs all through the scriptures is, Jesus says in Mark, what comes out of a person is what defiles them, for it is from within, out of a person's heart, it's from inside, who cares what I'm doing on the outside, how nice I am, how much I give money to Oxfam, how many old ladies I help across the street, from it is it is from within, out of the heart, that evil thoughts come. Sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance and folly. All of these evils come from inside, from an impure heart, and defile a person. And I think when you start listing out some of these these some of these sins, some of these behaviors, you begin to realize, well, you know, you may not have murdered someone, but you know, maybe you have stolen stuff. I'm sure all of us have probably not put coins on the meter with our cars, or we've been greedy and taken more than we need, or malice, we've argued with a family member, or we lewdness when we've been amongst our gal pals or the men, um, or whatever. All of us are frankly guilty of of not being pure. And, that, and that's our natural bent. That's the unfortunate nature of original sin. We can't escape it no matter how hard, well behaved we are, however we were brought up. We are desperately wicked and we don't have pure hearts. And that's the unfortunate, that's the bad news. You know, that's the bad news. The gospel is the good news. Well, the bad news you have to hear before the good news, which is we're not clean and we're certainly not undivided in our affections. We most of the time before knowing Christ, people don't even give a think about, don't even think about the Lord. We they don't have spiritual tunnel vision, loving him and thinking about him and wanting to honor him and serve him with all our hearts. In fact, the Lord is largely a swear word in many people's minds and, and mouths. So 
that's the sort of second question is we looked at what's pure in heart, being clean and undivided. Now in the second part, we look at, are we naturally that way? Do we naturally have it within us to be clean and undivided? Well, maybe we can do a bit of behavior modification and write down New Year's, you know, New Year's resolutions. But in reality, no, we're not. In reality, we naturally are not pure in heart. Which really becomes down to the third and final point I want to make. And the most important point, which is, how do we become pure in heart? Now, wonderfully, if you're the wonderful, I mean, the short answer is Jesus. And thankfully, it is Jesus. And I'm assuming, you know, most people listening on here on the, you know, on this Zoom say are Christians, but there may be some of you who are listening in and aren't sure or whatever. This is really the crux of the matter. We naturally, before being in Christ, before being born again, before saying sorry to the Lord and asking him to become our Lord and Saviour, saying, sorry, Lord. And, in, you know, you can say it in a prayer or you can say it aloud with your eyes open. You can just apologise to God and say, sorry. All right, thank you, Lord Jesus, for what your son did on the cross for me. That we can't do, We this is how we become pure in heart. And in the Old Testament, there's a, there's a bit of a prophecy where, where the Lord's talking to Ezekiel and he says, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone. You know, when you talk about people being hard hearted and give you a heart of flesh. And that's really a precursor to what's going to happen in the New Testament, where no longer do people have to be purified through ceremony or through self-righteous acts or works. But actually, the Lord gives us and his people, his people are his people marked by his Holy Spirit, people who have put their trust and faith in Jesus Christ and his work on the cross, him dying on the sin on the cross for our sins, for my sins and yours. If we believe in that just and just say Jesus is Lord, we will be saved and the Lord will give us a new heart. And what's really incredible is and what's wonderful is this whole thing about being pure in heart doesn't rely on us. Ultimately, we, we partner in the Lord in, in doing this and becoming new people and being sanctified. But it's the Lord who does that first work, who gifts us with faith, who gives us the Holy Spirit and gives us this pure heart. It's the Lord who puts it in us and gives us this pure heart. We all have had naturally hard hearts, hearts of stone, bad hearts, deceitful hearts. But the Lord Jesus, God, gives us a new heart and promises if we put our faith in Jesus Christ, that he will give us a new heart of flesh. And the wonderful and encouraging thing is that this work of being more godly, being pure, being cleaner, being purer, being more undivided, those adjectives we talked about at the very beginning, comes from God first and not us. It's the Lord who does this work in us. Now, I will caveat this by saying that doesn't suddenly, just because we've all been given new hearts and that we've been declared pure by the Lord, the Lord says immediately if we're in Christ and that we have given our lives to the Lord Jesus, that immediately we're declared pure. We're declared without sin. Now, that doesn't mean in actuality that suddenly we stop sinning. We stop being lewd or envious or any of those kind of adjectives we saw before. First of all, wonderfully, because of the Lord Jesus and his sacrifice, those sins are not held against us. But also, like I said, we're given a new heart. And what happens is in our Christian walks, and you'll see what I said, what I said in a moment, we become better. We, if that's a word, better. We become better. We become more Christ-like. We become more pure. So right now in 2021, frankly, each and every one of us listening to this right now struggle, no doubt, with all of these things. Sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, slander, greed, malice, lewdness, envy, arrogance and folly. We're not perfect people yet and will not be <clears throat> pure in all our actions this side of heaven. But the Lord has declared us righteous 
and he's given us the power in that Holy Spirit. And no doubt all of us who are walking in step with the Spirit each and every day will become less of those things and become more purer with time. And that's a great and wonderful hope when Jesus says, blessed are the pure in heart for they will see God because we are going to see God, gang. And God, it's God who purifies us and God who has purified us and God who will continue to purify us. And uh, we just need to enjoy the ride. So guys, thank you so much. I hope this was really useful as we think about